Welcome to Understanding the Bible with Pastor Stephen. This is episode 22, The End Times Revelation, part 2. Last time we talked about the introduction, how this was written by John on the Isle of Patmos, and that Jesus Christ himself gave John these prophecies. And then the first three chapters were about the letters to the seven churches, which were specifically pastors. And he called them the angel of the church of Ephesus, Smyrna, etc. So specific cities, he was writing letters to tell them uh, the prophecies, the judgments even that God had for them specifically. And we can learn from those, of course. And then uh, today we will be covering uh, chapter four and five. Before we dive into this, I wanted to uh, make sure that I thank my supporters. It is a great blessing to me. I will always do my podcast for free. Um, I would welcome new supporters because I do want to try and purchase new equipment and, and broaden out and get a website and such. And I just wanted to say that to make sure that you guys who are supporting me are aware of the blessing that it is and that, that I am able to continue doing this in part because of your support. And to everyone who is listening, uh, there's no need to feel pressured to give money or, or, or to become a supporter. I would welcome that, of course, but I will always preach the gospel and share the Bible with you and answer questions and help minister to you in any way I can absolutely free. So that is why I don't do advertisements. Spotify has requested that I do advertisements for them and they're willing to pay me and I, I won't do that. This is strictly a ministry and, and gifts. So thank you. Now, let's dive into chapter 4, starting with verse 1. After this, I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. Verse 2, And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone, and there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. And round about the throne were four and twenty seats, and upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. So first of all, I wanted to point out these twenty-four elders. And the scripture doesn't say who they are, obviously important enough and, and did enough as servants here on earth that, that God elevated them to thrones, uh, which is pretty amazing. My wife put forth the possibility here, and I think this is pretty cool to think about that these are the 12 apostles, uh, including Paul, not Judas, and the 12 sons of Jacob, the 12 tribes of Israel. That would make sense. Uh, the 12 and 12 makes 24 elders. Now, nowhere in the Bible does it say who they are. So that's just kind of a, a fun thought to think about who these guys are. Verse 5, and out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices, and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Now, the word spirits here, spirits of God, is from the Greek word pneuma, which is a current of air or breath. That is used over 385 times in the New Testament to uh, denote anything spiritual. The Holy Ghost, the same word is used for ghost. Uh, angels, even the pastors in chapter one. So it's most likely a reference to those seven pastors. And I'll, I'll read that reference here to you. Revelations one, verse four, John to the seven churches, which are in Asia, grace be unto you in peace from which is and which was and which is to come and from the seven spirits, which are before his throne 
And we learned last time that those seven spirits are the seven pastors of those churches. So it could very well be a reference to that. The seven spirits of God here could, of course, be something that we have no idea. It could be like the Holy Spirit. Some people think this is a reference to attributes of God that we don't understand. The seven spirits like the Holy Spirit. I don't ascribe to that particular view, but it could be. There is no way that we as believers in Jesus Christ understand God completely. So this could just be something about God that we don't understand, right? You have to be willing to admit that, that we do not have complete knowledge of God. We know who he is, that he's Jesus Christ, that he reveals himself to us as the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But we do not know everything about God. So you have to be willing to acknowledge that, that you are not omnipotent, that I am not omnipotent. And when we read something in scripture, it might not be understandable to us. But ultimately, it doesn't matter because this does not reveal anything to us about what we are to expect in our lives or in the end times. It's just a side note there. So let's continue on in verse 6. And before the throne, there was a sea of glass like unto crystal. And in the midst of the throne and round about the throne were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. And the first beast was like a lion and the second beast like a calf. And the third beast had a face as a man. And the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. And the four beasts had each of them six wings about him. And they were full of eyes within. And they rest not day and night saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. So first of all, there is no need to spiritualize this. We need to take it literally. Uh, John was describing to the best of his ability creatures and angels that he saw in the throne room of God. Now, the word for beast is actually zoan, uh, which is neuter and literally just means a live thing. Other places in the Bible, it's translated as animal. So these are live creatures that have six wings and have different faces, right? And when you read it was like a flying eagle, like a lion, that word like is homoios, which literally means similar to. We do not need to spiritualize the Bible and say everything is figurative in this particular book. Remember the difference between a simile and a metaphor. Simile uses the word like or as. So it's very clear that these are, he's using a grammatical tool to explain to us what he was literally seeing. All right, verse 9. And when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne who liveth forever and ever, the four and twenty elders fell down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. And then we go to chapter 5. So we're still in the throne room. He says, and he's just continuing the previous thought. So this is very simply chapter 4 and 5 is one vision. He's in the throne room and he's seeing things and describing it to us. So verse 1. And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book 
neither to look thereon. So there's a reference neither under the earth, meaning anyone that's dead. Okay. So no one in heaven, no one in the earth who's still alive, and no one who is dead is able to open this book. And I wept much because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. And one of the elders said unto me, Weep not. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. So we read in the Gospels how the offspring of David, in the lineage of David, was born Jesus Christ. And then he is called the lion of the tribe of Judah. So we know that this is a direct reference to Jesus Christ being able to open the book. Verse 6, And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent forth into all the earth. So remember Daniel, when, that we've studied in the last uh, three episodes prior, and the principle of multiple visions explaining one singular prophecy. So Revelations one twenty says, The mystery of the seven stars, which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. Again, the seven horns and seven eyes, the seven spirits of God, the seven stars, the seven churches, the seven candlesticks. This appears like he is showing John in multiple visions that these seven angels or pastors go forth into the world and are proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. Whether this is, uh, again, some aspect of the Holy Spirit or God that we don't understand, or these seven pastors that are in Revelation chapter 1, doesn't really matter to our understanding of this passage. This passage, the purpose of this is to explain that Jesus Christ is the only one that can open the book and loose the coming judgments. These seven spirits are incidental, so don't get hung up on it. Just understand that different pastors are going to teach different things about these seven spirits. We just know that only Jesus can open this book, right? So let's continue on in verse 7. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. So Jesus approaches the throne of God the Father and takes out the, takes the book. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain, crucified on the cross, right? And hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. So people all over the earth have been saved because of Jesus Christ. And has made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. This is a reference to the priesthood of the believer. 1 Peter 2.9 Believers in Jesus Christ, it says, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. Meaning we don't need to go to a pope or a priest of the Catholic Church to confess our sins. We are priests and we confess our sins to God himself through prayer. We are allowed to enter the Holy of Holies, the throne room of God without an inter intercessor other than Jesus Christ. Mankind is not good enough to intercede for us. Only Christ can. 
So continuing, he says, you're a royal priesthood, an holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of the out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God. So Gentiles as well, scattered from every nation and tongue and tribe, are now one as the people of God who are priests and can talk to God, right? Again, back to Revelations 5, verse 10. That last line that says, kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth, is a reference to the thousand-year reign of Christ. Revelations 20, verse 4 says, And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus, and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. This is kind of a foreshadowing, letting you know what he's going to explain later in chapter 20. All right, so let's continue Revelations 5, verse 11. And I beheld, and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beasts and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. Now, I had to go into the Greek and look this stuff up. It actually doesn't say 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands and thousands. What it actually says, literally, is a myriad number and a thousand thousand. So what that means is there is an indefinite number, and I believe the translators put 10,000 times 10,000 because that seemed like an insurmountable number to them, an indefinite number, right? But literally, we don't know how many angels are round about the throne, but we do know that last part plus a thousand thousand. That's literally what the Greek word says. So there's a huge number of angels plus another million. That's pretty crazy. Then verse 12, all these angels are saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them heard I saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that liveth forever and ever. So chapter four and five is a description of the throne room and who is in there. The Lamb that was slain, Jesus Christ, God the Father on the throne with this book with seven seals on it, an untold number of angels the 24 elders, and then, of course, John himself, These plus these four beasts that are strange creatures with six wings. I think that one's fascinating. I, I love trying to think about this and figure out what the angels might look like. I, to the best of my knowledge, through the study of this, I think that these are some new class of angel that are just praising and worshiping God in the throne room, and they have six wings, and I think their wings have eyes on them. So very strange stuff, but, you know, who knows what kind of creatures God has created. Uh, regardless, I think they're going to be beautiful and amazing and unlike anything that we've ever seen. Now, I'll cover real quickly the timeline of what the next chapters go over. And again, keep in mind the way to understand prophecy is, number one, if it's from God, it's going to come true. 
Number two, when prophecy is given, it never contradicts scripture. And number three, prophecy is not always given in chronological order or a linear time frame. First this, then this, then this. Remember that prophecy sometimes says this will happen. Then the second thing happens. And then let me redescribe the first thing. And then the third thing happens. And then let me go back and tell you about the first thing again. And then the last thing is going to happen. But let me go back and tell you about the third thing. And then we continue on. And then finally, the last thing happens and you see it again. So if you're not careful and cross-referencing other passages of scripture, you'll think something happened twice. Okay, so that's why I'm going to be going through this slowly, chapter by chapter, to explain each thing. But here's a very brief, quick timeline so you can kind of understand what the end times is going to bring. Remember when we talk about the end times, it is the 70th week of Daniel. It is that last seven-year period before Christ reigns on the earth. So here's what Revelations talks about. The first half of the seven-year tribulation period is the rise of the Antichrist to power. He is a human king or leader, one of seven heads and ten crowns. And that's in Revelation 17. It says, and there are seven kings. Five are fallen, one is, the other is not yet come. And when he comes, he will continue a short space. And the beast that was and is not, even he is the eighth and is of the seventh. So one of these kings gives birth to or has an heir of, an eighth king and it says and he goeth into perdition and the ten horns which thou sawest are ten kings which have received no kingdom as of yet but receive power as kings one hour with the beast so there's this rise somehow seven kingdoms ten different kings ruling over them not quite sure how that works out we'll cover that more later but they give rise to the antichrist And then you have the seven seals of that first book that we just read about. The seventh seal opens up seven trumpets. After the sixth trumpet comes the seven thunders. So these are all judgments that God brings on the earth. And I believe it's during this first half of the seven-year tribulation. And then you have Satan coming to power. And he is called that great dragon. We'll see references to that multiple times. And you have the rise of the one world religion headed by the Antichrist's prophet. So during that first three and a half year period, you have the Antichrist who receives his power from Satan, who has a second in command, who is his prophet that heads up the one world religion. So you have a trinity, a perversion of the trinity of God. Satan is trying to replicate what God does and make himself like God. Then you have the midpoint of this tribulation period. So at three and a half years, the Antichrist desecrates the temple. The two witnesses come from God. God seals 144,000 Jews, 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes to witness around the world. And they're protected from the Antichrist. The mark of the beast is instituted. And then you have this three and a half year period or 42 months where the seven vials of the wrath of God come out. The Antichrist hunts down believers. And at the end, you have the battle of Armageddon and the seventh trumpet. So that's in Revelations 11. You'll see that it's divided. These first six trumpets are judgments that happen over a long period of time 
And then at the end, we have the seventh trumpet. I'm going to read a couple of verses very quickly here that discuss that trumpet, and then we'll get into them when we actually cover Revelations 11. 1 Thessalonians 4.16 For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. That's the verse people use to justify a rapture, right? Then you have 1 Corinthians 15.51 and 52. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump for the... Wait, when? At the last trump. So there's seven trumpet judgments. 1 Corinthians 15 says, At the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Then you look at Revelations 20, verse 4 and 5, And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. So only those who have died during the seven years. And they lived, so they were resurrected, right? And reigned with Christ a thousand years. So they were brought back to life, these martyrs during the seven-year tribulation. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. What dead? All the other believers over the last 2,000 years or so who have died are not raised until after the thousand years are finished. This is the first resurrection. Revelations 20 verse 5. What does first mean? This is the first resurrection. First means first. And if you look at the original Greek, that word, the first resurrection, comes from the Greek word protos, which means beginning or the first. It is very clearly the first mass resurrection of believers. And it is only of those who died for not taking the mark of the beast during the seven-year tribulation. So that is the second half of the seven-year tribulation. Then we have the thousand-year reign of Christ where Satan is bound. That's in chapter 20. Then we have Satan loosed for a season, the battle of Gog and Magog, and then Christ defeats them all. The great white throne judgment and the marriage supper of the Lamb is found in Revelations chapter 19 and 20. And then at the end, we have the new heaven and the new earth. That's your timeline, and we'll cover, we'll start in chapter six next week. And until then, may God bless you.